The reading is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured, just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teachings you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We are not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, labouring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them, in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that we might hear from you the things that you want us to hear. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You might have had a sense of deja vu as you listened to some of that reading. I'm sure Graham did. He uh, spoke to us about the idle and disruptive from the end of 1 Thessalonians a few weeks ago. So clearly they weren't listening and they had to have it spelt out again. In this letter, they're warned to keep away from the idle and the disruptive. And then in verse 10 of this passage, Paul writes, even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. So it looks like he was having to address issues about the idle and disruptive even before he wrote any of the letters and then in both of the letters. Now, I don't know if that's meant to be encouraging, but as someone who frequently fails to live the Christian life in the way that the New Testament teaches me, I find it encouraging that even these first believers had to be told something at least three times. There's hope for us all. 
idleness may not be my biggest issue, but in other areas like... No, let's not go there. No, we won't. (laughs) But maybe we don't need to beat ourselves up when we keep stumbling. Each day is a new day, a new day to ask forgiveness, to ask for help, and keep trying. Ben reminded us two weeks ago that this letter is a letter written to a particular group of people, a particular group of believers at a particular place, in a particular situation, at a particular time. And there are so many questions. In fact, commentators even don't agree on why these people are described as idle. My commentary by John Stott suggests they're lazy people, perhaps because they're enjoying the generosity of their Christian brothers and sisters, or maybe as people not seeing the point of working because Jesus is coming again soon. In the uh, Bible Project video that we watched early on, they agreed that maybe it was this Jesus coming again soon, but then they also suggested some kind of a patronage system that existed in Roman culture, where rich people showed off their wealth by employing poor people as clients to do their errands, including some less than moral errands, apparently. My husband Peter offered the insight that they probably weren't lazy because lazy people would be too busy lying in bed watching videos and so wouldn't have time or energy to be busybodies or disruptive. Anyway, at the risk of being contrived, I wonder, instead of dwelling on the idle who do not work, perhaps we could look at the passage from an opposite perspective, workers who are not idle. I've just finished a a part-time course on theology for everyday life. It was with the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity, which is an organization that John Stott originally set up. It's been a very stimulating and thought-provoking course and quite hard at times wrestling with, with what is the theology for the things that face us in our lives today. But one of the tools that we looked at, which I'd, I'd come across before, is a framework for thinking about how God is working through us to bring about his purposes. It can be particularly helpful to think about in the context of work, but it's not limited to that. It's also a framework that helps us think about our activities and our interactions with people, whether we are in paid employment or not. And it comes from some material that the LICC produced called Fruitfulness on the Front Line. You you might have come across it before, and I think we may be looking at it later next year, possibly. It's a framework that has six facets, all of which begin with M. And if my using of this related to this passage is a bit contrived, I feel sometimes some of the ends are a bit contrived, but I think they are helpful. So the six M's, the first facet is modeling godly character. We might think particularly about the fruits of the Spirit from the letter to the Galatians, where Paul identifies the fruit of the Spirit as being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And anyone modeling those at work or wherever they serve would be an asset to any organization. In verse 1, Paul writes that the message of the Lord was being honored through the Thessalonians. In verse 4, he writes, We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. Back in chapter 1, he commends them for their faith, their love, their perseverance. With a few exceptions, the idle busybodies, the rest are doing okay, and other people are seeing it. They are modeling godly character, we might say. The second facet is about making good work. It's about doing a good job, not just in paid employment sense of the word, but whatever we are doing, doing it well. When I was 21, not that long ago, for very briefly, while I was waiting for a teaching job in the days when you couldn't get teaching jobs very easily, I had a job washing walls at Moseley Hall Hospital. I was, we were all paired up, and I was paired up with a woman who seemed to make every effort not to wash walls. In fact, you could say she made a really good job of not making a good job of washing walls. She managed to extend all our breaks, starting them early, finishing them late. She went to the toilet so many times, and it always seemed to be the one that was furthest away. And I'm sure she only half turned the tap on when she was filling her bucket. She was not making good work, and it made the job very tedious. And we know that in Thessalonica, there were people not making good work, the idle, disruptive, busybodies. And so in contrast, in verses 7 to 9, Paul writes, We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. Paul made good work. He made good work to provide for himself, we assume he made good tents. There's no Trust Pilot or Amazon review to check it out, but I suspect Paul did make good tents. He certainly made good work making disciples of Jesus, teaching, getting alongside, sharing his life, and modeling how a disciple should live. And I think the idea of making good work is summed up in a verse from his letter to the Colossian church where he writes, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. That's making good work. You can probably work out what making good work is in your workplace. Know what that looks like. 
might need to think a bit harder about what making good work means in our homes or in our volunteering opportunities or in our interactions with our neighbours and friends. Or for some of us, working out what making good work means as newly retired disciples. But as Paul writes in verse 13, as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. The third facet is ministering grace and love. When we read Paul's words about these idle troublemakers, there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of grace and love. In verse 6, they are commanded to keep away from the believer who is idle and disruptive. But then in verse 15 we read, Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Ministering grace and love means never writing anybody off, but taking the time to help them to improve. I think what Paul's concerned about is who is influencing who. And is he saying, don't allow yourself to be influenced by the idle and disruptive. Instead, help them to become hard workers who get on with their own business. I wonder if what Paul meant when he says, warn them, so it doesn't feel that gracious, but he doesn't stop there. He adds, warn them as you would a fellow believer. I don't know if you've ever done a, um, a word search on one another in the Bible, but there's lots of things that we are supposed to do to one another. We're supposed to love one another, accept one another, Forgive one another. Show grace to one another. That's how we treat a fellow believer. So when Paul says, warn them as you would a fellow believer, maybe that is showing grace and love. The fourth facet is molding culture. Every workplace, every organization, every church, even every group has got a culture. It can be thought of as the way we do things around here. Molding culture is countering the negative, unhelpful aspects of the way things are done and replacing them with ways that align with God's values and God's way of doing things. The LICC website describes it as being the person who counters the blame culture of the corporate world by admitting when they've made a mistake, offering forgiveness to those who slip up as well. It's quenching gossip with a positive word for the person who is always the butt of the jokes, or championing trust and honesty in our departments, nurturing a safe space for the team to work well in. When I was teaching in Nietzsche's many years ago, a friend and I were discussing how negative everyone in the staff room had become about our head teacher, who did, in fact, like most of us, have her faults. But the criticism was really bringing the atmosphere in the staff room down and really bringing us down. So we decided that every time anyone said something negative, we were going to counter it with something positive. 
So, for example, someone might say, well, she doesn't know what it's like for us. When was she last in the classroom? Who's ever heard that said of a head teacher? But we would say, she did come along to the residential last week, and she was really brilliant with some of the children that we were struggling with. And it happened over a couple of weeks, in fact. And my friend wasn't a Christian. But it was surprising how quickly the negativity in the staff room reduced and the culture was changed just a little bit. Sadly, I haven't got a verse from the passage. I did say it was a little bit contrived that pithily describes this molding of culture. But I think we've seen it in other parts of these two letters. In our passage, Paul speaks of the example that he and the others gave them to follow in terms of working to provide for themselves, not being dependent or a burden. And even though this passage focuses on those who haven't stepped up to the mark, it's clear from the thanksgiving in the first chapters of both letters that there is much about the culture of the Thessalonian church that is to be praised. In verse 3 and 4, we ought to always thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. There was a culture there that was to be appreciated. Two more to go. The fifth facet is being a mouthpiece for truth and justice. The story from my teaching days also fits the idea of being a mouthpiece for truth and justice, speaking truth into the situation and defending someone who couldn't speak for themselves, mostly because she didn't know what was being said about her. Paul is clearly a mouthpiece for truth and justice in all his letters as he challenges his false teachers and encourages young Christians to live lives worthy of the God they profess to follow. And I think we see it specifically in this passage as Paul admonishes the idle and disruptive in the church. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busybodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. Apparently the uh, wordplay in the not busy but busybodies works equally well in the Greek too. But you're going to have to take my word for it because I'm not even going to attempt the pronunciation. Stop interfering. Settle down and earn your keep. Sometimes, especially if we lead a team, being a mouthpiece for truth and justice might involve, with large amounts of grace and love, speaking specifically to someone who is damaging the team or its work. We don't know what the issue in the church regarding these idle busybodies was, how many or exactly what they were doing or not doing, but it was serious enough for Paul to be concerned for the well-being of the church, and so he sought to address it. He could have kept his head down, 
could have ignored it and let them get on with it. But he didn't want the church to be damaged and to lose the reputation they had. So he chose to speak. And our final M in the six M's of fruitfulness is being a messenger of the gospel. In verse 1 of our chapter, we read, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured just as it was with you. Never mind the church in Thessalonica, our church would not exist if Paul and his fellow workers and the other apostles and disciples and earlier followers of Jesus had not been messengers of the gospel. You wouldn't be here if they hadn't been messengers of the gospel. I wouldn't be here speaking were it not for a messenger of the gospel. When I was 27, my first husband left me. And I didn't have much in the way of friends. You need to talk to Alan and Kathy if you want to know more about what sort of a person I was back when I was 27. You probably wouldn't recognize me. Because I didn't have very many friends, I think God prompted me to ring one particular person, a guy called Hugh. And when I rang him and told him what was happening, he came straight round. Over the next month or so, he helped me find a flat, and he helped me move my stuff into it. He came to visit, and he listened endlessly to my woes and complaining. From time to time, he spoke truth to the lies that I told about myself. He was a good, good, good friend, and he was a Christian. Do you know, you could have settled for just being a good, good friend. But instead, he sought out ways in which he could be a messenger of the gospel. He always asked if he could pray for me before he left when he came to visit, and he would pray with me there and then. He invited me for meals with him and his Christian housemates. He invited me to church, and even after I told him that I wasn't really that desperate, he invited me again. He took me to an evangelistic service where I heard the gospel for the first time, even though I didn't really understand it. And two weeks later, after I'd read the literature given to me at the service, he came and helped me make sense of it, and I became a Christian. I am literally eternally grateful for my friend Hugh. I'm eternally grateful that he became and was a mouthpiece of the gospel for me, and he changed my life forever for good. So how are we doing? Where are we being faithful and fruitful in the places that God has put us? How can God use us? The six M's. Are we modeling godly character? Are we making good work? Are we ministering grace and love? Are we molding culture? Are we being a mouthpiece for truth and justice where it's needed? And are we being messengers of the gospel? As Paul begins his letters, commending the church for what they do right, I encourage you not to look at the things on that list that you're not doing well. But have a look at the things that you're doing well in. 
and ask God to strengthen you in those and help you with the others. Let me finish by adapting the first and last parts of this passage as a prayer for us all. Dear God, I pray that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured just as it was with us. I pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen us and protect us from the evil one. Help us to do and keep doing the things the Lord commands, including being messengers of the gospel. May the Lord direct our hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. And from verses 16 and 18, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. Amen.